Welcome to the Deep Bible Studies podcast, where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I'm your host, Claudia Rivera Guevara, and today we will be going through John 3, 22 through 36. But before we get started, I do want to point out the fact that this week we only came up with three episodes, and that is because we're coming up with a whole new calendar to go deeper into these Bible studies one week at a time. And so, this will be the last episode in which we will go through the whole entire chapter and go through all of the four stages of deep. Instead, we will be going through all of the four stages of deep in one chapter for every week. But back to the passage. From verses 22 through 36, John continues with the testimony of John the Baptist, testifying about Jesus before John was arrested. John informs us of the ministry that Jesus has in Jerusalem and in Judea before he began to preach throughout Galilee. And so this ministry started becoming known by many people. Verse 22 then says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So at this stage, Jesus developed a ministry where similar to that of John the Baptist, who continued to baptize those who came to him for repentance, thus preparing the way for the Messiah. Well, anyway, it seemed that Jesus did not really baptize, but that he carried out supervision because his disciples were the ones who were baptizing. But let's take time to define this word. I mean, baptism is not only just done in the Bible, but it's also commanded to us through the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is called the Great Commission, and we'll go more into detail in just a second, but first let's keep defining baptism. Baptism is nothing new in the Bible itself. The Old Testament in Ligonier Ministry says, the way this water would have been applied would have been less important than the meaning behind its application. For the first century Jew, baptism would have meant cleansing or purification, and it would have been applied directly to the person who is unclean in the sight of God in order to wash him and render him clean to pure before God. So in the New Testament, John the Baptist used baptism to prepare the way for the Lord, requiring that everyone, not just the Gentiles, be baptized because everyone needed to show repentance. After the death of John the Baptist, we see baptism taking on an added significance. It becomes an outward sign of a new covenant people of God. You see, it's not the actual water, but again, the symbolism behind it. It's a declaration. It is a public proclamation of faith and discipleship. In the waters of baptism, a person says without words, I confess my faith in Christ. Jesus has cleansed my soul from sin, and now I have a new life of sanctification. We see this particularly in Matthew 28, 18-20, when Jesus commands his followers to make disciples of all nations and to mark them out with water baptism. We also see it in Acts 2, when Peter instructs the followers of Christ to repent and be baptized, and we see this in verse 38. The point is that beginning with the end of Christ's earthly ministry, all who turn to Jesus in faith are to be marked out with the sign of baptism. It is something that everyone who puts faith in Christ must do. 
Now, before we go into the next verses, let's ponder upon the Great Commission. What is it? Well, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, this is exactly what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission commands us to make disciples as we go through the world, as we go through our lives, as we go about our daily activities. How are we going to make disciples? Baptizing them and teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded. Make disciples is the mandate of the Great Commission. As you go, baptize and teach are these by which we fulfill the command to make the disciples. There's this book that I love that my friend gave me. It's called Kisses from Katie by Katie Davis Majors. So if you guys ever want to get it, I would absolutely recommend it because it's absolutely awesome. I will link it in the description. So Katie in her book says, I have learned that I will not change the world. Jesus will do that. I can, however, change the world for one person. I can change the world for 14 little girls and for 400 school children and for a sick and dying grandmother and for a malnourished, neglected, abused five-year-old. And if one person sees the love of Christ in me, it is worth every minute. In fact, it is worth spending my life for. I mean, the real reason why Katie said that she can change the world for one person is not because of herself at all. God has loved them first. And in seeing the sinfulness, needs, and brokenness, and understanding what Jesus Christ has done, she is moved to preach the gospel, deeply love, and serve the person next to her, the person in front of her, and the person behind her, neglecting any sort of inconvenience or comfort. In love that is rooted in Christ, we are to preach the gospel, which has been preached to us. God has called us unto himself and reconciled us to him, through the payment of his son. If we know this amazing news, why keep it to ourselves? Even if it costs everything, it is better than life itself. Well, moving on to the next verse, it says, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So this discussion had to do with Jesus and John's ministries and the baptizing, as well as it is all connected to the Jewish purification practices. But most of all, the discussion was regarding these disciples' worries that Jesus was competing with John. So then verse 26 says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am being sent before him. When John the Baptist's disciples presented their complaint to him, they expected him to have the same exact reaction as him. But how little did they know their teacher? It was as if a flame had fallen in the middle of the ocean, because in John's heart, there was only love, humility, and admiration for Jesus. So far from being upset by the growing fame of Jesus, he was blissful and deeply joyful that the Lord's ministry was standing. John, instead of being envious and understanding his calling, he displayed humility and faithfulness to Jesus, who he 
is and what he is meant to do and what he has done. Verse 29 then says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Okay, I love this metaphor. So let's break it down a little bit. John MacArthur explains it like this. The friend of the bridegroom is essentially the best man. He helped organize the details of the ceremony and took great pleasure in seeing the wedding proceed without incident. Regarding the actual marriage that is taking place, let's look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ is the betrothed king, and John Piper says his betrothed wife is the people of God. The people who trust him, elect from every race and nation, the church. He came the first time 2,000 years ago to die for his bride, to pay dowry, as it were, with his blood. And he will come a second time to marry her and take us, his church, into the gardens and chambers of his love and joy forever. You see how intentional every part of life and the word of God is designed by God to glorify him. Now verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. John concluded with these beautiful words, his mission was ending, and now it was his turn to withdraw as discreetly as possible. From that moment on, what was convenient was that Christ continued to grow the esteem of his people while he went into anonymity. Note, however, that according to the words of John, it seemed he was implying that Christ would increase the same extent that he diminished. And really, this is the biblical principle. Christ will also grow in us at the same time as we die to our selfishness and carnality. The next verses say, He who comes from above is above all. He who is on the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to his, that God is true. For he whom God sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John the Baptist presents both of the paths here, one of stubborn disobedience and the other of genuine faith, not earning, not works, genuine faith in he who took upon the wrath of God meant for sinners so that we might not be condemned, but rather be reconciled to the holy, holy, holy God that is over death and who is coming back. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection are the very wisdom and power of God, though they seem foolish to the world. Where true salvation and eternal life come from the incarnated Son of God's death on a brutal cross and the resurrection is because God is over death and Jesus paid the condemnation meant for you and for me.
You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com, where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram, at Deep Bible Studies, and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.